The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, the Trident Room co-host Nathaniel Hancock sits down to get to know Trident Room host Luke Gorski. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Uh, I guess uh, I get to be on this side of the mic or this side of the table, I suppose, for once. So it'll be a, a new experience for me. I'd say I'm sure you've been doing a really good job so far. So Yeah, and I think that's really kind of our, our goal with this is just uh, we all have kind of different unique experience that flavor the way that we do our, our own podcast episodes. Um, so kind of giving the audience an understanding of where we're coming from, maybe we'll give them a better context uh, when they listen to our discussions with the various folks we have on. Sweet. Well, where do you come from? Yeah, so I originally grew up um, right around Los Angeles, kind of north of Los Angeles. Um, lived there most of my life uh, and uh, really, really enjoyed it there. Uh, pretty standard Southern California uh, kid. And How did you end up like deciding to go into the military then? Uh, yeah, so um, military was not always my first thought. So uh, kind of re- right at the time I was in high school, um, I decided I really liked or really wanted to go into the intelligence or law enforcement kind of career field. So originally uh, that vision was um, like FBI, I think was probably maybe just the most popularized version mm-hmm. of that at the time or, or whatever it was. But that's what um, kind of drew me to it. Um, so I uh, went to school uh, or went to college down at UC San Diego um, and got a history degree there. Um uh, finished up that and started just applying to the various federal agencies, three-letter agencies, whatever kind of law enforcement capability there was, and didn't really get a lot of traction um, in my uh, job search. So started to look at ways to break into the field um, and came uh, got uh, some good mentorship from a family friend um, who is in uh, one is in uh, federal law enforcement, the others in the intelligence community. Um, and they both kind of recommended to me, like, hey, you know, one good way if you do, if this is something you want to do, um, go into the military, get that military background, um, you know, and on the intelligence side, get get your clearances sorted. Uh, just makes you a more valuable candidate as you're looking forward. And uh, so, yeah, I uh, went and looked at the various branches and ended up going Navy. Um, and uh, I actually really, really enjoyed it so far. So uh, the Navy has converted me. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm in here for the long run. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been a great ride so far and hopefully it, uh, continues to be so. That's, that's awesome. So then did you do ROTC? I commissioned through, uh, OCS through, uh, officer candidate school. So for the Navy, that's up in Newport, Rhode Island. Nice. So what was that like? It was cold. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that's really my, my biggest memory from OCS was, um, we have, was called wake up Wednesday, which is, um, so when you show up to OCS the first couple of days, you're kind of just going through admin, medical, things like that. Um, and then Wednesday is the day that we get to meet our drill instructor. So the way that OCS works, um, you have, um, a Marine Corps drill instructor and then a, a Navy, uh, chief, uh, senior chief, uh, RDC, and then a class, uh, officer. Um, but really the person you get to know best is your, uh, Marine drill instructor. So, uh, wake up Wednesday is that day, um, where you get a, I suppose, meet, um, your drill instructor. So, uh, Good morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you're woken up at some ungodly hour. Um, we weren't even, you know, we're not allowed to have watches at the time. So I don't even know what time it was that they woke us up. Oh, wow. Um, 
and uh, I guess I should have mentioned in the beginning. So this is uh, mid-February in Newport, Rhode Island, and I'm coming from Southern California. So, <laughs> a little different. <laughs> um, so I wake up at this ungodly hour, uh, get yelled at, you know, run around, push-ups, all the normal uh, stuff that you might see in the movies or things like that. And then finally, uh, we all get our sea bags packed up and um, put on our backs and we're Go and run, run out the door, run outside, and it was very cold. It was. <laughs> I, I was like, "What am I doing here?" Like it was like seventy degrees in California when I left. Like it is it's just the wind was going everywhere. I mean, the wind was so much that some some of the kids were getting like knocked over by the wind. Like, oh my goodness! The wind gusts were just like pushing people out. So, um, I do feel a little bit better because I actually went back after OCS or whenever we got internet access uh, and looked up the weather for that that day. And it was, uh, I think it was negative 12 degrees with the wind chill. Oh so I didn't feel goodness. like, I thought at first I thought it was like, oh, I'm just some wimpy Southern California kid. I don't know how cold it is. But I was like, no, I think I can legitly call that cold. So Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, so that, but oh, overall it was good. Um you know, it's it's military indoctrination. So it's a twelve week program. You kind of broken up into three sections. You do, uh, yeah. First phase is indoctrination, which is get yelled at and learn how to get yelled at and do things in the right order in the right way. Yep. Um, and then uh, kind of transitioned a little bit more like leadership focus, how to lead people. And then the final four weeks is putting that into uh, ap- applying that. So you're kind of leading the newest class of uh, officer candidates coming in. So that's that's the way Navy does. Did you commission through ROTC, OCS? I'd say, yeah, I went through ROTC. Okay. Um, and so like for us, it's just a lot of leadership training throughout your college career. And then we have about a two week block where we actually like, go in and like we go down to Maxwell Air Force Base, in mm-hmm. Alabama, and like really go through like getting that intense high, high intensity training environment. Um, right for that two week period, you get evaluated and then that evaluation kind of sticks with you through job selection. Uh huh. Yeah, no, I had a, uh, one of my, um, really good friends at college actually was air force ROTC as well. So I got to see him go through all of that. And I was very glad that I got to live a, a normal college <laughs> life. Um, and only had to do 12 weeks of the craziness. Um, but I mean, there's an advantage to ROTC too, because you get that job on the back end where I was kind of, you know, waiting and it was about a year between when I graduated and, when I showed up to OCS. So uh, job oh, wow. security is good. <laughs> or job, having a job on the back end guaranteed is good. So it's like through that, were you just like competing the entire time to just try and stay like above the cut line through OCS or is that not like a thing with it? Um, yeah, I, I would say uh, it, there definitely is a, comp- I don't know about a competitive environment. So um for us and for the Navy, and I don't know how this works, if I remember correctly, and kind of the, what you said there, the ROTC is kind of how you perform, kind of gives you a spot to get your job. So, like, if you're the number one candidate, you get your number one mm-hmm. choice. Is that kind of how that works for yeah. y'all, so, so, sort of? And I think the, the Marines do that, too, and I think the Army as well. But one of the reasons um, that I actually chose to go to the Navy was that they will, um, when you apply to OCS, you apply to your job. So, um, oh wow! Okay. like when I went to OCS, I knew I was going to be, if I completed OCS, I would be an intelligence officer. Um, whereas opposed to like the, uh, the army or the Marines, they, um, you know, 
who knows what your job is going to be, right? And maybe you want to be an Intel person, you're a top guy, but there's no Intel spots. So So you kind of already have that eye on the prize then. Yeah, so I I knew that I wanted to be an Intel officer. And um, it was actually the Air Force, too, for their OCS program. You also apply um, to the job and then know when you go in, at least when I was going through. Um, So Air Force and Navy were the two that I focused my applications on. And Navy let me in first, and there we go. (laughs) As, as you were going through OCS, like, did you already have someone to write home to? Or were you just like, there is a stud just pushing through? Uh, I mean, I had in? my family. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't married or anything at that time. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, my family is a really, really great support system. Lots of letters uh, back and forth from them. Awesome. Um, one of my other good friends from college was going through Marine OCS at the same time. Uh, so we got to kind of write back and forth a little bit about our different experiences. And Marine OCS does not seem like <laughs> <laughs> I think choosing to go to Navy OCS is a lot better than going to the Marines uh, OCS. It's uh, a little bit of a different beast. Um, not to say that you know Navy OCS isn't challenging. It's just a different – I guess they're, they're also just looking to create a different type of officer or different – they're looking for – yeah, I, I think I'll leave it at that. They're looking to, to – kind of create a different type of officer through their through their program. You finish OCS and then like do you just go immediately into your job training to be an Intel officer or Yeah, pretty like much. Um, I had I think it was about a month uh, back home where we're on OHARP. Uh, I don't remember what that stands for, but basically you go and help out at a recruiting office um, for a little bit while you're waiting for your uh, job class to, to start. So back in LA for, I think it was about a month, if I remember correctly, and then uh, down to, uh, or I guess over to uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. That's where our uh, Navy Intel school is in Damnex, so right near Oceania. Oceana. Um, and that was, man, I don't even remember how long that was. I think it was like a three month program, if okay. I remember correctly. It was like Fourth of July ish to Thanksgiving ish. So however many months that is, <laughs> July, August, September, October, November, five months. Ooh, I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> it feels okay, yeah. it wasn't that long ago, but it feels <laughs> like it was that long ago. Um, and uh, but yeah, Intel School was really good. Um, I think that it. Um, you know the the intelligence community, or at least the way Navy does their intelligence, it's it's extremely broad. Um, so we do lots of different jobs. Um, you know everything from your very traditional uh, finding ships, and all the way to you know supporting um, some special operations folks. Um, you know supporting an air an air wing or a squadron um, rather than supporting a ship. Um, doing like a human intelligence stuff. Um, so there's a pretty wide spectrum. So I think that, uh, at least my takeaway from, uh, what Navy, uh, the Intel school kind of taught me was a little bit of everything so that when you go to your first job, uh, you at least can, uh, speak the language, I guess, and, uh, kind of know what's, uh, what's going on. Um, but really I think that, uh, what they say, like our core competency is, uh, op Intel. So operations intelligence, which is, um, that ability to basically, you know, use multiple forms of intelligence to come and bring it together and create a coherent picture to brief to um, whatever operator you're briefing, whether that be a pilot, a ship's captain, or a a SEAL or an EOD guy. Um, Being able to figure out what they want, how to get the information they want, and then present it to them in a coherent way. Um, So I guess that was another big piece, is learning how to present information. And um, 
I mean, it, we make jokes that we, you know, we're just slide monkeys and just making <laughs> PowerPoints all day, PowerPoint Rangers, 10,000 PowerPoint hours, all that good stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, as, as much as I think PowerPoint is the bane of some people's existence, really the, the end goal is to uh, just be able to communicate what you know effectively to the operators. I'd say and communication is so key. I mean, like you can look across the wide spectrum of military engagements and like anytime that there's a huge success or a huge failure, it comes down to like how good was the communication oh, yeah. between the commander, between the people who are on the ground, between all the middle people that were inside of there. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, 100 percent. And I think uh, that that was a good thing to learn uh, at an early age. And I think that those people that are. And again, like you said, not just successful intelligence officers, but in s successful officers or enlisted folks um, is their ability to communicate. Yeah. So like with that, so you just when you went to tech school, you had like a bro broad kind of stroke over like the overall intel community. You guys didn't specialize in anything. Yeah, no, um, the Navy intelligence community, at least on the officer side, uh, mm -hmm. doesn't really do any specialization. Okay. There are a few um, very specific programs that will get specialized, but those are few and far between. Um, so we're kind of expected to be uh, able to go and plug in, plug and play anywhere. Um, and just kind of have a general idea of how to do the, you know, the general job. And then you kind of learn Learn as you go, um, which I think is kind of a lot of the, the military, uh, different branches, different jobs all kind of have this similar thing, I think, at least from what I've learned. So that's pretty cool. So then what was your first assignment like then? Uh, yeah, so my first assignment was at the uh, Fleet Intelligence Detachment, which is at the Office of Naval Intelligence in Suitland, Maryland. Um, so I got to go up to the D.C. area for my first uh, tour. And uh, basically what they do there is we provide the uh, intelligence support or some of the intelligence support to uh, the carrier strike groups when they deploy. Um, so it's actually a really cool uh, tour. Um, I think it was an awesome – I think it, I always tell people if, if uh, to, to new, new ensigns or people uh, – thinking about coming to the Navy intelligence community is I think that that FID fleet intelligence detachment, I think that was the, is the best job a, a new ensign can go into. Um, you get a real, uh, sense of what Navy intelligence is like at its baseline. Did you have any time on boats then as the intelligence? Or did you spend a majority of your time on shore? No, yeah, it's sea duty. So, um, I was on a, a boat, uh, a ship, I guess and the sub officers will be mad if I say, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, like I said, what we do is we support uh, carrier strike groups when they deploy. So um, for me, um, I deployed as, uh, along with carrier strike group 8 um, on board the uh, USS Harry S. Truman, CVN-75, um, during their like 2015-2016 deployment. Um, so that was, I think we ended up doing almost nine months um, out, oh, wow. out to sea. Um, but I think one of my... my uh, Learning experiences from that in terms of naval operations, uh, or at least the Navy training cycle, was I did not realize how much ships go underway before they actually go on deployment. So um, I was looking back at my schedule during the time, and I, in the two years that my assignment was there, um, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of Navy officers, but maybe you know some of the other branches don't know, but I spent, uh, I think it was seven months in my, actually at my apartment. So Wow. Yeah. Um, so it was gone a lot, um, but it was good. I mean, I was, you know, single at the time, young ensign, happy, <laughs> ready to go. Let's go do this stuff. Um, so you go through the various training cycles, workups, um, things like that. Learned a ton. Uh, learned a lot about leadership. Learned a lot about intelligence, um, managing people, all those kind of things. Um, 
and then went out and deployed. And we went and did uh, most of our operations were uh, in the Arabian Gulf, um, hanging out there, uh, launching. I mean, I wasn't launching airplanes, but the carrier strike group was launching airplanes into uh, mostly um, Iraq and flying over Syria in support of uh, counter ISIS operations. Um, so it's pretty cool to see. Um, they didn't have a lot to do with my job uh, on the carrier. My job in particular um, was to provide intelligence to uh, for more kind of, I guess, ship-based intelligence or what the ships need rather than what the pilots are looking at going over the horizon. Um, but it was cool to kind of be a part of that larger mission. Um, and then in the end, we hung out in the Eastern Mediterranean a little bit uh, before heading home. So it was, a, it was a good tour. I enjoyed it a lot. That's it. That's awesome. So then... Uh kind of continuing on through your career, uh, going back to shore, um, you started a family somewhere in there, right? Yeah. So, uh, I guess in those, I was actually, um, right when I got back from, uh, deployment, uh, out and met my wife. <laughs> um, well, uh, and, uh, we dated for, uh, three or four months and then I went out to Bahrain and <laughs> she stayed. Um, and, uh, we ended up, uh, she ended up coming out to Bahrain at one point we got engaged. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, eventually got married and kids and, and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's another reason I suppose I, I really like my fit tours. I met my wife, so can't <laughs> complain about that. That's, that's a pretty good deal right there. Yeah. What was it like balancing uh, the family and then also being, like, highly involved inside of the intelligence community and kind of getting into that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I um, I guess I'll kind of fast forward a little bit here. So, um mm -hmm. You know, when did my Bahrain tour, and then after Bahrain went to uh, Hawaii, and that was kind of my first duty station, you know, with a family. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that was actually a really, really good experience. Um, I was working in a, kind of a unique um, billet where um, our office was maybe half civilian. Uh, so we had about 12 people in our office, half civilian, and then, you know, the other half of us were military, one other Navy officer, um, and then a variety of other uh, branches in there. So it was a, a different environment, especially different than being on a ship um, or when I was buried at Fifth Fleet, just a, a different um, things that we were looking at and uh, kind of work-life balance. So it was actually a really good tour um, to kind of learn how to have a family because, uh, you know, we don't, it's not saying we worked, you know, nine to five every day, but it was at least a lot more predictable um, schedules and, you uh, I guess you could say kind of grown-up rules. Um, so like giving you a little freedom, you know, come in, get your work done, work work what you need to do. And then, you know, there's there wasn't a lot of the uh, uh, collateral duties, extra things that come along with, um, you know, being, being in the military. And so that was a really big advantage, you know, is getting rid of some of those um, other duties beyond your normal job that kind of just take up hours of your day and um, – yeah, hours of your day is time away from your family. So, uh, but it, it was really good. Um, kind of learning to be a dad there, um, figuring out, yeah, how to do that, that balance. And, you know, one of the things I really like about being in the Intel community, um, is that, you know, all our work is classified for the most part. I mean, unless you're, except for the personnel management stuff, um, it's all, it's all on computers that you can't bring home, stuff mm -hmm. that you can't talk about on the phone, things like that. So once I, you know, walk out of work, I'm, pretty much done working. I don't have a choice. I can't, I can't, I can't work if I wanted to. Um, so it was really nice having that hard break, hard line between, uh, kind of work and family life, which has since disappeared because I'm at MPS now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick before we kind of talk about what brought you to NPS, yeah. uh, wanted to circle back to that assignment in Bahrain. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, 
what was that? What was that like? Um, so Bahrain was, uh, I was working at the Fifth Fleet. So our, um, what is it, Afcent, right, for mm -hmm. y'all. Uh, this the Navy equivalent of that. Um, so it's actually very similar to the job that I was doing on the Truman uh, when I was doing my Intel stuff there. Um, you know, basically finding boats and figuring out where they are. Um, so it was a, it was a good change. Um, to see it, you know, kind of from a very tactical perspective on the uh, Truman when I was there, um, and then kind of going up one level to the more theater side, looking out a little bit more, having a little bit of a different focus, um, but still, you know, the same problem set. So as I said, you know, we're expected to, as the Navy intelligence kind of expects us to have a very wide breadth of knowledge, but I was able to do two tours in a row at the same, you look, looking at the same thing. So uh, it's easy to, to look good when you've been doing the same thing for a while. <laughs> and uh, some people are maybe just getting into it. Um, and yeah, I really liked it there. Most of that time was standing watch and then um, being kind of in charge of the watch there. Uh, as, so yeah, but it, it was, it was good. It was interesting to live in Bahrain. Um, I don't know if you've, have you ever been out to the Middle East or? I have not. Yeah. I guess you're a second lieutenant. So yep. unless you're just going I'm, out I'm there to fresh. have fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, Bahrain, I kind of tell people it's kind of like the uh, the Las Vegas of the Middle East in some ways. Ah. Um, so <laughs> for those who don't know, Bahrain is just like this really tiny island um, off the coast of Saudi Arabia. And uh, it's its own kingdom. Uh, British took it over at one point and gave it mm -hmm. back. And um but it's connected to saudi arabia with this bridge and uh one of the sayings is that Allah can't see across the bridge so you, you get is, um, <laughs> a lot of the uh, saudis and things like that coming over to bahrain on the weekends and there's alcohol there's yeah all kinds of uh let's say sinful i guess behaviors uh, yeah. going on uh i mean it's not quite like las vegas it's still in a in arab country and still has a you know, some of the conservative things to it and you would not, you know, mistake walking around Bahrain for walking around Las Vegas, but uh, to, it's a kind of just a comparison. So um, it wasn't too bad of a transition culturally going from one to the other, plus, you know, just working all the time. So for yeah. the Navy, at least at the time that I was there, most of the people that were there are on one year done accompanied orders. So it's, um, you know, just a lot of people there, yep. no families. Um, so, uh at least what I find, if you're not working, you're going to get into trouble. So I think that a lot of other people find that. So it's a re it was a really high um, op tempo, uh, really high expectations for uh, the amount that people worked. And I think that is a challenge for some people. But like I said, for me, it kept me out of trouble as a, a newly married uh, young man. So I, I can't complain about um, about that at all. And, I, and again, I really enjoyed the job. Uh, kind of very baseline Navy intelligence stuff, building on what I did on the Truman. So it was a, it was a good experience. So, yeah, I know that you kept yourself out of trouble, uh, but you're leading airmen. Uh, do you have any suggestions for people out there who like need to need some strategies to help their airmen um, or sailors, sailors yeah. um, stay out of trouble when they are inside of those situations and you have to lead them? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it really is just about engagement and uh being understanding with your, your sailors or airmen or whatever en en enlisted folks you have with you. And then also just leveraging, um, the more senior enlisted folks and their knowledge. Um, and I think that it's, uh, it's hard to draw that, that line between being, um, being a leader, being a friend, knowing about them, knowing too much. Um, because at the end of the day, you're still your boss, but 
you know, they're people you, you care about them, you want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as as are people, there will be mistakes. So I think that you know, no matter how plugged in, tuned in uh, you are with your your sailors, airmen, uh, whoever, um, there's going to be mistakes. So it's a lot of how you handle the mistakes that when you make as a leader, or they make just in their own own personal decisions. Um, and you know, just kind of coming at it with an understanding of where they are and um, understanding where they're going, what their goals are, why they made the decisions they did, and then kind of making sure that those situations don't happen again. Um, I had a, my, our very first port call um, on the Truman. So coming from FID, we were um, in charge of the imagery division. So all, the, all of my sailors that worked for me were, um, uh, yeah, imagery interpreters, so looking at satellite pictures to figure out where boats okay. are. Um, and, uh, yeah, so first, um, first port call, you know, talking about like, okay, you know, this for some, most of us, uh, this is our first port call of our Navy career because <laughs> they're all pretty much fresh out of, um, their own Intel school as well. Like I had, uh, so there's five of us I had one IS one, an IS-2, so uh, E-6 and E-5, and then the rest were E-4s or E-3s. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, don't do not do anything stupid, you know, you know, you're here, you know, you're kind of the face of America, the, those, those kind of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it is, sailors are sailors, and young kids are young kids, yep. and uh, they always make the best decisions. Um, so I think it was uh, about... Five hours into the port call, one of my sailors got arrested oh. <laughs> for a drunken disorderly in public. Uh, so he was uh, picked up by the Croatian police and brought down to the brig on the the ship. And yeah, uh, so that was uh, that was fun. Um, I think uh, he learned his lesson, and uh, I I think I learned a little bit more about um, setting expectations and um, kind of matching personalities as liberty buddies uh so like when you go mm-hmm. into port you have your your battle buddy your, your person that's supposed to watch out for you and in this case they just kind of each had their own idea of what looking out for each other meant uh, ah. um so uh yeah um but he for sure learned his lesson he got a reduction in rank half months pay for two months which is an e4 down to an e3 and then losing half your money for two months is a pretty good lesson mm. uh i don't think he got off the ship again uh until like our six or seven months the six or seven months into our deployment so mm. uh yeah um but he i mean he was a good sailor he uh did his job and i think like i said i think he learned his lesson and it's, again it's you know understanding him and kind of what led him to make those decisions you know it's a a young kid uh not a lot of exposure uh, to alcohol and things like that before uh, underestimating, you know, what it's like to go out and party with people. Uh, just uh, just inexperience. And um, so I think, yeah, just knowing and getting a better sense of things like that before you go in and again, matching up might be more responsible parties with some of the newer parties. Um, yeah. So that was I yeah, that was a very very quick early learning experience leadership experience for me. Um, yeah, sure, and that's an awesome lesson to be able to then pass that on to other officers that you have under you and other people that you have. Uh, that's a that's a big thing. Oh yeah, um, no, it was I. Uh, yeah, it was not a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of wisdom was gained over 
over that experience. Yeah, yeah, and uh, have not made that mistake again, or at least I don't think I have. Um, so I guess that, <laughs> that, that, that that's good. Um, and yeah, and, and there's always there's always leadership things you learn every day managing people um, and motivating people, especially um, you know when you're on you know the tail end of deployment where we've been sitting in this same box and the water in the Arabian Gulf, watching the same things happen every day, you know, kind of groundhog day sets in. And so being able to keep people engaged through that and um, making sure that, and what I found is uh, just like mental stimulation. It's like, okay, you know, this is going to happen because guess what? It's happened every day since we've been here. Uh, predict what would happen if it something happened differently or start looking at a different problem because guess what? You don't need too much brain power to understand what's happening you know, that it's happened every day. So let's go figure out what's happening somewhere else. Let's go figure out what's going to happen in the future. So it's always, uh, you know, just keeping your mind engaged and thinking. And so people aren't, you know, falling asleep, spacing out on watch. That's always an issue. Mm -hmm. So you finish up uh, in Bahrain, you go to Hawaii, uh, now wife, kids, family, mm -hmm. um, start balancing all of that then what what's the next step in your career after that then yeah so uh after hawaii um it was coming out here to uh navy postgraduate school okay um, so like what brought you here then uh that's a good question <laughs> um i uh was not always the biggest fan of school uh, when i finished my undergraduate degree i was like okay i'm done i'm never going back to school <laughs> yeah, here i am um so really, um, I mean, what, what brought me here was I was going to have to go to school at some point, so it might as well be now. <laughs> um, you know, as uh, you move up in the ranks, having a master's degree, having JPME pushed out, um, it's pretty much a necessity. So I was going to have to do it at some point. I might as well do it as my full-time job, um, not having to balance school, work, and family together, mm -hmm. you know, doing classes at night or whatever. And the people that do that, I think that's uh, really good on you because I could not do it. Um, but um, as much as I... I admittedly came into uh, MPS in the academic world with a relatively negative um, attitude. I think it's really uh, been a very, very beneficial experience here. I'm in my third quarter now, so about halfway through uh, from my program. And um, I've learned a ton. Um, it's been engaging. So what program are you in? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm in uh, National Securities Affairs, uh, the East Asia track. So basically, that's just political science with focused on East Asia. Okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, uh, for the way it works for us, at least in the Intel community, uh, when applying to MPS is uh, we send our detailer, which is the person that hands out jobs, um, kind of our list of, you know, these are, you know, rank order one to seven, I think. I can't remember how many programs us Intel folks are allowed to apply into. Um, ranking math, they say, okay, you're going to go do East Asia, go apply to that. And then you do and you get in and come here so uh, it's been good i've learned a ton um i mean it came from hawaii um so you know they're working with uh indo paycom uh staff and hq there um so i had some baseline knowledge at least of the more military aspects of um the region um but now kind of getting more into the political side kind of and more strategic although it was strategic at um paycom but maybe a, a different so yeah, just a, coming through a different lens um, with this. So that's really cool. So then do you have to do a thesis for that then? Yeah, yeah. I'll be uh, writing a thesis. Uh, basically looking at um, how the naval intelligence community um, supports, uh, I guess it's whatever buzzword you want to use, uh, great power competition, strategic competition. Um, 
in the Indo-Pacific and in the kind of mid 2030s timeframe. So the idea being um, as our comp competitors grow in influence and um, you know, the world evolves, changes, um, so that the information sphere plays a much larger role in, um, warfare. How does Navy intelligence match that? And where do we need to put people? What do people need to know? What do people need to be able to do, um, in order to ensure that the Navy intelligence community is effectively supporting, uh, naval operations. So should be, should be good. I'd say it sounds interesting, uh, especially as, you know, everybody, everybody's ramping up right now um, in the current geopolitical uh, landscape of the world. So, Oh, yeah. You know, no, it's, it's, a, it's a rapidly changing environment, and uh, I think it's um, – I think it will be relevant. Um, it's actually uh, got my thesis topic um, from Captain Height, who is the uh, kind of senior naval intelligence officer um, at okay. the school. Um, and, uh, just approached him and said, Hey, sir, you know, what, what do you think, uh, would be good? What are we looking at? He said, this actually came down from, um, some folks down at the Pentagon who had kind of a similar question. Um, mm -hmm. and then we just kind of shaped it a little bit to match, um, some of the academic requirements that come with being a student and writing a thesis. Um, but, uh, I think it should be good. I'm, I'm glad that there'll be somebody at least interested in reading it besides me, <laughs> <laughs> my thesis advisors, um, but yeah, so it's kind of shaping that out this quarter exactly how that's going to look. Um, but I think it'll be good. I think um, one of the it kind of talks before one of the reasons I had kind of a negative view of um, academia uh, was kind of this ivory tower uh, type view of them. And I think uh, while that is definitely true in some ways at MPS and at any school. Um, Really, uh, I've I found that a lot of the people, a lot of the professors, faculty here um, are very interested in supporting, um, you know, doing applicable, applicable research to help the fleet or the DOD, um, whichever side you're on. And uh, really once, um, you know, kind of slogged through those kind of intro courses where it's very – uh, you know, talking about political theories and things like that, I, that was pretty killer for me. But as we um, get into kind of the more – directed studies of, you know, okay, now you kind of understand all these theories. How do those play out in the real world? Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, how do they, you know, as an Intel person, you always look into the future, right? And it's pretty, and you're a METOC guy or meteorology. Yeah. <laughs> so you have the same thing. I always say like our, my job is always to be better than the weather guessers. So if you, know, <laughs> you guys make a forecast and I make a forecast, hopefully I end up on top, but we'll see. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, being able to um, use the things that we learned and now applying them. And as that application process has played out, uh, it's helped me uh, en enjoy academia a lot more. I'd say that's awesome. So then in your time here, you've gotten involved with the Trident Room podcast. Um, what drew you to it? How'd you hear about it? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, heard about the Trident Room podcast on the, the muster page one day and reached out uh, to the email that was on there. Um, and uh yeah went with it so one of the reasons uh that some of the reasons that i decided to reach out were when i really enjoy listening to podcasts um especially i kind of got into it uh when my son was born and he just liked to walk just be walked around as you're holding him so uh, i spent a lot of time just walking in silence and then i was like all right well i'll try out these podcast things and really enjoyed them um so i've uh, been listening to podcasts pretty regularly um since then um and then in my last job in Hawaii, uh, a lot of my job was basically doing this, interviewing people um, and talking to them. And it was a lot of that. Um, 
So I figured uh, it was a, a good skill set that I built up, and I think that's something that I kind of wanted to stay with. You know, I was um, being able to just have a coherent conversation with somebody and ask them interesting, relevant questions. I think is is a good thing to have. As we were talking about communication before, being able to talk to someone is communicating with them, understanding um, what people want to hear, things like that. Um, so I just kind of wanted to make sure kept that that skill set up and also just find it interesting and find it a way to kind of keep me engaged while uh, I'm here at MPS um, with some of the different things that maybe don't necessarily fall within my uh, curriculum of study. Uh, yeah, so it's been great so far. That's awesome. Uh, as you can, since you still have some time left uh, here, how do you uh, what do you see the future of the podcast growing into? Yeah, well, I'm really hoping that we can. Um, create a lot of engagement, um, you know, find some value for the students um, and anybody else kind of associated with MPS. I think that we get we get a lot of freedoms um, with the podcast to kind of talk about with whatever whatever we like really our kind of um, guiding principle is, you know, uh, produce episodes that are interesting to the MPS population. Um, so that gives you a pretty w wide berth. And I think that if for those of you that are regular Trident Room podcast listeners, uh, you'll see we have everything from, um, you know, we had some of the, the family uh, episode. We had uh, people talking about quantum physics. We had... There's the sustainability farming. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed sustainability farming uh, yeah. that Marcus did. I was like, uh, you know, it's on my feed. I'll listen to it. I'll see what's <laughs> up. And Marcus is a good guy. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. I had some really interesting ideas. And I think that's one of the good things about the podcast is being able to uh, – there's so, much interesting, so many interesting things going on here at MPS that just don't get um, enough light. I think that you know things are popularized and things have good effects. But um, being able to see you know, to the population and to you know, people like me looking at, oh, man, do I really want to go into academia? Do I want to go to MPS? Like, you know, learning like, oh, yeah, they do all kinds of interesting stuff there that's very relevant to the DOD, um, you know, kind of makes more people more interested. And the more people we have interested, the better people we can get here, the better the school gets. So then once you leave this place, do you have any idea where you're going next um, or what your kind of goal for the future is? Yeah, so uh, after this, I'm actually in that process right now, figuring out where we're going to go. Um, fingers crossed to go down to Third Fleet, which is in San Diego. Um, so, yeah, can't beat San Diego. I'm going to do a bunch of hardship tours from Hawaii to Monterey <laughs> to San Diego. Darn. Um, but hey, that's why I chose the Navy, because you're always pretty much always by an ocean. Some ocean <laughs> areas are nicer than other ocean areas, but at least I'm not in the middle of the desert somewhere. I guess I could go to... My wife already ruled out Fallon, Nevada. She said, no, <laughs> it is not happening. So we're not we're not going to Fallon. Um, but uh, yeah, so go down to Third Fleet, um, potentially, uh, which would be very similar to job to what I did at Fifth Fleet in Bahrain, you know, finding ships and <laughs> figuring out where they are and telling people where they are. Um, and... Uh, Hopefully, we'll get picked up from 04 it's for 04 at some point. When that happens, probably back onto back onto a ship and into the real Navy again. So, That's awesome. Um, and so how will MPS help you then in your career moving forward? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, it's twofold. So um, one, having the greater understanding of Asia, the Pacific in general, um, kind of understanding some of the power dynamics, goals, um, things that influence uh, decision-making uh, within these countries, governments, and things like that. Um, you know, because as a, again, my 
as a Navy intelligence or as any intelligence officer, your job is to tell the future, which no one can really do, but you can give it a pretty good shot. And the more information you have, the better understanding you have of some of the drivers behind um, what the decision makers are doing. Um, it translates kind of to all levels. So you can look at it from a very broad sense, like, you know, why uh, is, you know, for example, in the recent days, China's been flying a, a whole bunch of missions into Taiwan airspace. So mm -hmm. why is that happening? What What is China trying to uh, message to Taiwan? Are they messaging Taiwan? They're messaging to the world in general um, and kind of understanding that piece um, all the way down to, um, you know, as you look at kind of the more bureaucratic um, sides of the way that countries work, um, you know, why is this fleet acting in this manner oh well they got a new admiral and this admiral has these goals so it's going to mm -hmm. change the way they do so kind of understanding um the way those bureaucracies works what what they reward um people to get promoted and then you know everyone wants to get promoted at their job so um once you understand the way that the inner workings of some of these bureaucracies work you can kind of predict what people will do when they go different places um so i think that that those are some of the goals that i get from kind of the east asia focus there. Um, and then the other half kind of, as I was talking about is having the time bandwidth, um, the access to the people with the knowledge of some of the more naval tactics, naval doctrine, um, aspects of things. Um, so I think those are going to be the two biggest takeaways for me, uh, going forward and helping out the Navy in the future. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate having this conversation. Uh, how do you enjoy your time not interviewing somebody, but being interviewed this time? Oh, no, it was good. It was interesting. Uh, I feel my voice getting a little uh, little sore. I should have let you talk more. I should have taken more breaks. <laughs> it's been awesome so far. I really enjoy my time in the podcast so far and the opportunity to get mentored by people like you um, and like Joe. And um, so I'm really, really looking forward to what the future has to hold. Yeah, I think it'll be great. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for new blood on the Trident Room podcast. So anybody out there at MPS listening, uh, you know, come check us out. Uh, we have a, a web page and um, – just you know, just search up Trident Room Podcast. You should have a link in the show notes and uh, shoot us an email. We're always looking for new folks to come on board. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a good one. Yeah, it was great. See you all. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guest and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room Podcast has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tritonpodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tritonpodcast. <laughs>